Right. Yeah. You can relate, right? Um, how many of you have already made New Year's resolutions for yourself this year? How many of you have already made those? Yeah? Okay. How many of you guys have already made New Year's resolutions for the person sitting next to you? How many of you have done that, right? Somebody else. How many, how many of you achieved successfully every New Year's resolution you made last year? Every single one. How many of you knocked everyone out of the park? All right? Just double checking. No, nobody. Uh, if you didn't, you're in good company. Here's some statistics on New Year's resolutions. One is this. The percentage of Americans that make New Year's resolutions is about 45%. About, about a little less than half of us. The other half just say, you know what? Uh, not even going to. I'm not going there this year. Uh, the percentage of Americans who actually achieve successfully uh, their resolutions, that's about close to about 8%. Um, and actually, I think that's overreporting. Uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that that many people successfully achieve all of their resolutions. Here's the question. Why, when we set out to do something, when we have a goal, when we have a resolution, when we have something that we want to achieve, we believe we can do it, we want to do it, we know we want to do it, and we actually sometimes make ourselves believe that we're going to do it. We actually are like, yeah, I'm going to pull it off. How, why is it that we don't actually achieve those things? Why is it that we don't do the things that we want to do? We don't achieve the things that we want to achieve. We make all these goals, all these resolutions, all these lists, and then at the end of the year, we're like the guy on the video, scratching them out, sell the treadmill, spend less time with family. I love that one. Go to Mexico, rob a bank. I mean, just we're not, we, we don't pull it off because it's not lack of desire. It's not lack of will. It's not lack of motivation. We've got all that, right? In fact, we know the what of what it is that we're trying to achieve, right? We get the what. We start with that. I want to lose 25 pounds. I want to, you know, fall in love this year. I want to start dating somebody this year. I want to, you know, uh, uh, get out of debt this year, whatever it is. We know the what. We know the end result that we're trying to achieve. So that's not a question. And sometimes if we spend a lot of time thinking about it and working it out, we'll even understand the how. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend 30 minutes a day at the gym. I'm going to join a gym. I'm going to spend time there. Um, I'm going to go on a dating site. I'm going to meet somebody. I'm going to go on some dates this year. I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to start using cash only. I'm going to cut up my credit cards, whatever. So we, we understand the how. We got the what and we got the how. But I think a lot of times there's something deep and profound that prevents us from accomplishing the things that we really, truly do want to accomplish. And that is that we don't explore the most important question of all. We don't really deeply explore the why. We don't get down and dirty with understanding why does any of this matter? Why is this important? We have some surface answers, right? We can say, well, you know, it's, it's good for your health. You know, it's good for your health to, to eat right and exercise, right? But why do we care about that? Why does it even matter? We don't spend a lot of time just probing deep down into why are we doing the things that we want to do? And how many of you know, if you don't know why you're doing something, your motivation just sort of lags? I don't know if you've ever been in a work situation where somebody says, here's what I want you to do. We're going to launch this new initiative. We want you guys to fill out this paperwork, and we want you to take these 12 steps. And they never explain why. And you're sitting there going, why are we doing this? 
You just don't want to do it. Or if you are in a, an employer position and you've ever tried to get people to do something and you fail to explain clearly why you're trying to do it, and then you're going, why isn't anybody doing this, right? Kids get this. Kids get it. You can ask them to do something, and they're going to come right out with it. Why? Why? The other day, my son was standing really close to the street, and I said, Jameson, come away from the street. And before he obeyed me, he said, why? Right? I'm like, listen, man, I will explain the why, but right now you need to get away from the street. Um, We want to know why. And so when we are struggling or trying to achieve something, we're not going to achieve it unless we understand why. And in fact, if you look at every great movement, organization, leader in history, you see that they over and over first understand the why, then they get to the how, and only after they get to the how, then do they get to the what. Let me explain. In 1955, this is an example, 1955, uh, Montgomery, Alabama. There were a group of people there, uh, Martin Luther King, Ralph Abernathy, and a group of men and women who were absolutely sick and tired of the discrimination and prejudice they were experiencing and other people were experiencing based on uh, racial bias and ethnic bias, right? And they had a core belief, and their core belief was this. Our country should be a country of equality and justice. That was their why. They had the why deep down in their hearts, and it burned inside of their hearts, and they knew the why. They had the belief. They had the understanding of what they wanted to achieve, the why, because they believed that equality and justice were right, and inequality and injustice were wrong. And so they had the why. So shortly after they had the why, along came the how. Uh, A seamstress, 42-year-old woman named Rosa Parks was riding on a bus. She was told to get to the back of the bus. She said, I'm not going to go to the back of the bus. She was arrested, and that led to the famous Montgomery bus boycott. And hundreds and thousands of people boycotted the buses in Montgomery, Alabama. That was the how. It crippled the bus system. The mass transit system was crippled. The what was a year later in 1956, December 20, 1956, the U.S. Supreme Court issued a ruling and said, these these uh, uh, laws that are based on bias and prejudice and racial bias and prejudice, these are unconstitutional. So they got enough people understanding the why to get involved with the how to accomplish the what. In fact, when Jesus preached his very first sermon, it was a why sermon. It was a sermon about why. He, He walked into the synagogue. He opened the scroll to Isaiah. He pointed to a passage and he said, read the passage, he said, the spirit of the Lord God is, is upon me. Why? Because, he said, the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, and on and on and he went. But what he was saying was, hey, I know my purpose. This is why I am here. I am here because God called me to free people from bondage and slavery. I'm, I'm here to free people. That's my purpose. And now I'm going to show you how, and then ultimately we'll get to what? Are you following me? And when we deeply understand the why, we have to understand why we are doing what we're doing, why, we, why any of it matters, before we can ever really get to the how and the what. Because like I said, if you're just at the what level, like this is what I want to do, and you haven't deeply understood deep down in your heart why it matters, it's not going to work. You will not pull it off. You will not accomplish it. Um, So the question then is, how do we get to the why? 
How do we get in our own heart to understanding why anything that we do matters? And the analogy I like to use is hardware and software. All of you guys have either laptops or uh, mobile phones or desktop computers, and you know that it's got hardware and it's got software, right? The hardware, that's the nuts and the bolts and the plastic and the screws and everything that holds it together. The software is the internal system that tells the machine what to do and how to do it, right? The hardware, if you don't have the software, you just have the hardware, you have a very expensive paperweight on your desk, and that's all you've got. The software is what tells you what to do. So for, for us, our software, that's our core beliefs about who we are, whether or not we have purpose, who God is, what our role in life is, is there meaning. That's what we have to deeply understand if we ever want to accomplish the things that we ultimately desire to accomplish. We have to understand our why. And there are various whys that people have. There are different operating systems that people use. Uh, one that's sort of popular right now is that uh, your life has no intrinsic purpose. This is nihilism or nihilism. This is a belief, uh, and many espouse it, and it's sort of a popular idea right now that there's no meaning in life, there's no purpose in life, there's no God, there's no there's, there's, this is strictly accidental. You're out spinning around the universe for no purpose whatsoever. Everything is subjective, and you're just sort of, you're here, and then you're going to disappear, and none of it matters. Happy New Year, everyone, you know. <laughs> yes, that sounds fantastic, right? That's an operating system that people hold and, and believe. Nobody lives like that, but they believe that, or, or they say they believe that. Uh, another operating system is that uh, is fatalism. Basically, is your life is completely predetermined, and you have no power to change it. Your life is just on a path. Life has got you rolling down a path. You're on a track. You don't have any way to adjust it. You don't have any influence on the future, and you're just moving along. And you don't have any power to change anything. This is fatalism. This is, you know, this is characterized by resignation and defeatism. You just go, you know what, I don't know. I, I've tried, and I can't change anything. These are my circumstances, and I'm just stuck with it, right? But there's a third operating system that the Bible teaches us and that I want each and every one of us to at least consider and hopefully grab a hold of and capture and instill in our own hearts, and it is this. Your life has a God-designed purpose that you can choose to accept or reject. This is what biblical Christianity teaches. We see this throughout the scripture. God has a designed purpose for you, and it's real, and it's a real purpose, and he's, he's made it available to you. He's inviting you to live it out, and it's your choice to choose it or reject it. That's, that's the biblical Christian internal operating system. There's a great story in the book of Acts where the Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul, he was Saul. He was a persecutor of Christians, hated Christians, coming after Christians, killing Christians. And he's on his way to Damascus. Some of you know this story. He's on his way to Damascus. He's moving down the road, and suddenly a bright light out of heaven shines down. A loud voice comes at him from heaven, knocks him on the ground, blinds him. And the voice from heaven says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, who had never experienced anything like this in his life, said, who are you? Who are you? Who are you, Lord, that's saying this? And the voice said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And then he said this, it's really hard for you to kick 
against the goads or against the pricks. In other words, it's hard for you, Saul, to be moving in this direction with your life when I want you to go this direction. I have a purpose for your life, and you're not living out the purpose for which you are designed, and that's why it's really hard for you, Saul, and that's why I'm going to blind you with this light and come down with a voice from heaven and say, I don't want you going that way anymore, Saul. I want you going this way. It's really hard for you to kick against the goads. And Saul said, okay, I'm going to go this way. And it radically transformed, radically changed Saul's life. He became Paul. He became a man who followed Jesus, wrote most of the New Testament. uh, And his life was transformed because ultimately he accepted that purpose that God had for him. So throughout Scripture, we see this over and over. We see it with Jonah. Jonah says, I want you to go to, God says, I want you to go to Nineveh, Jonah. Jonah says, I'm going the opposite way. All kinds of mayhem happens. Gets swallowed by a fish. It's nasty. And God says, no, I want you to go this way. Right? Because God has a purpose for your life. And if you're struggling in life because, you know, it's just nothing is working, I want you to consider the possibility that God is saying, hey, it's hard for you to kick against the goats. I want you to go this way, and you're going that way. All right? So how do we break this out? How do we sort of flesh this out into bite-sized chunks? Number one is this. Each one of you, each one of us, according to the Scripture, is uniquely designed. All right? We are uniquely designed for a particular purpose. We're not randomly assorted for no particular reason. We are particularly designed for a particular purpose, every single one of us. The Scripture says this. We are God's, this is in Ephesians, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Look at this. We are God's handiwork prepared to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance. That word handiwork from the Greek poema, what that means is we, that's, where, that's where we get the word poem. We are God's work of art which he designed, which he created, which he made for a particular purpose, which he already planned for you. It doesn't get any clearer than that. That's, that's the scriptural, that's the biblical truth about you and about your purpose. You were made for a purpose and a particular purpose. Uh, a few summers ago, my mother-in-law came to visit, and um, I love telling stories about my mother-in-law. I just, I just, something about it just makes me so happy. And, and she listens to my sermon, so, um, so I'm always editing a little bit during the sermon. But, uh, but there, was this, there was this one uh, Sunday morning. She was here visiting, and it was a summer Sunday. And you know how summers are in St. Louis. It's kind of sweaty and muggy and nasty. And, um, and we live, you know, maybe a, a mile and a half from here. We don't live that far from here. And this, this one Sunday morning, uh, well, the night before, our neighbor came over. And our neighbor is friends with my wife. And our neighbor drives the same kind of car as my wife. And so she came over on a Saturday night, this girl Christina, and she left her keys on our kitchen table. And her keys look kind of like my wife's keys because they kind of drive the same kind of car. I mean, they look a little bit different, but they look pretty, pretty similar. So Christina came over, visited my wife, left the keys on the table. Sunday morning, we get up. Rebecca and I say, hey, we're, we're taking off. We're going to head on down to church. And my mother-in-law says, you know what? I'll just bring the kids. I'll just pile the kids in the car. You know where this is going, right? I'll pile the kids in the car, and I'll just bring the kids to church. So we said, okay, great. So we left, came to church. Well, my mother-in-law picked up the keys that were on the table. Yeah. 
Got the kids out to the car. The car was unlocked, so she didn't have that little struggle. Got the kids in the car, and you know, if you're parents, you know, there's a lot of buckling and snapping and squirming and bucking, and you know, it's, it's not easy to get three kids buckled in. She got them all buckled in, got them all tapped down, sat, you know, went to the front of the car, got in the front of the car, put the key in the ignition. It went in the ignition. It just didn't turn. Wouldn't start the car. You know why? That key was not designed for that car. That key had a design for a specific and particular purpose, but it wasn't to start our car. It was to start our neighbor's car. How do you think my mother-in-law felt when she was towing three kids, walked all the way from our house to U City Family Church in the sweltering summer heat? I can tell you how she felt. She felt unhappy. (laughs) She felt unhappy. She felt frustrated, right? Here's what happens when you're, when you're, when you're life, when you're trying to turn the wrong lock, when you're, when you're living out a life that isn't the purpose for which you were particularly designed. Here's what you experience. You experience some frustration because it is frustrating when you keep trying to do something and it's not working right, right? It's frustrating when you keep trying over and over in a relationship or in a job or with friends or whatever it is in your school and and it's just not working and you get frustrated another thing that happens is you get fatigued it's tiring to keep trying to do the same thing and it not work you get really tired i think my mother-in-law probably muttered a few words under her breath on the way here um, that that well you know i don't i don't know that she did but i have an idea i know i would have um and then I would have asked for forgiveness. But it's fatiguing. It's frustrating and fatiguing. And the other thing is, if you're, if you're doing or trying to do something or be something for which you are not designed, you experience repeated failure. You just keep going, man, why isn't this working? Time after time, I keep trying. I just feel like I'm running into a wall with my life. What is going on, right? God says, I've designed you for a particular purpose, and I want you to go after that purpose. Because when you don't, it's really hard to keep kicking against the goads. It's really hard to keep going down a direction that isn't the direction that God wants you to go down. It gets really frustrating, really fatiguing, and you run into a lot of failure. So how do we turn it around? I'm going to give you three tips, and then I'm going to move on to the next point. One is this. Pray. Say, God, God, what do you want me to do? Where, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to be doing with my life? A lot of times God will say this, you already know. You already know what to do. Do the things that you already know to do that are right. That's a good start, right? But pray. So number one, pray. Number two, ask people. Ask somebody. I don't know, in the 80s they used to say, you better ask somebody. You ever, in my school we used to say that. Um, so... This is where this is where you have to this is where you have to this is where you have to get the big ask. You gotta you gotta ask. Let me let me be clear on that. You need to get the big ask, right? You need to you need to get involved in a life group. You need to get involved in relationships with other people that are believers and say, hey, you know what? Be vulnerable. All right, my life isn't going the way I want it to go, and I I could use some input. I could use some advice. I could use some counsel. I could use some help. Wisdom is found in the multitude of counselors. You get out there and don't try to act like you got it all together because you just will just, you know, everybody knows you're faking it. So just get involved in a life group. Get involved with other people and say, hey, I need some help in this area of my life. So ask somebody. And number three is experiment. It's a lot easier 
to make a car move a different direction when that car is already moving, right? It's a lot easier to steer it when it's moving. So what I mean by experiment is do some of the things that you already know to do. Serve. Get involved in, you know, get involved in a church. Get involved in serving. Get involved in helping somebody. Get that car moving, and then you're experimenting with this. And experiment. I'm going to try this. I'm going to work on this. I'm going to do this. And if this doesn't work, you kind of move a different direction, and you get the you get the ball moving down the road. So pray, ask somebody, and then just start moving. Start start experimenting. Start doing some stuff that you already know how to do. So number one, you are uniquely designed. All right. Number two, you are specifically known. This is the internal operating system that gives your life purpose, right? You are specifically known. You know the word that we most love to hear in the whole human language? It's your own name, right? You just love it when somebody says your name because you go, they, you know, they know you. And when they say, well, you know, you walk up to somebody, they go, hey, Brent. And then, then it's, 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 it's always a bummer when you go, hey, man, how are you? What's up, chief? How's it going, big guy? Great to see you, big fella. You know, it's like, you know, and then, then about 30 seconds later, you're like, ah, his name is Mike. You know, it's like, I knew that. Ah, it was Matt. No, Tom. No. Uh, you like it when somebody knows you, right? You like to be known. It's important to be known. Here's what Jesus said about knowing. He said, the very hairs of your head are numbered. In other words, I know how bald you are getting. That's how much I know you. I know your business. I know everything about you. I know the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent, and I still love you. It's one thing to be loved. It's another thing to be known and loved. Somebody can love you who doesn't know you, or they think they can love you, and it's great, but then you're thinking, well, but if they actually knew If they actually knew me, I don't know if they'd feel this way. But when you find out that now they know you and they love you, man, I tell you, that just opens your world. God says, I know you. I know the very hairs on your head. In in the book of Luke, there's a beautiful interaction that happens. There's a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is a very wealthy Jewish man that nobody likes. He's a tax collector. He's ripping people off. He's cheating people. He's a, like a stool pigeon for the Roman government, and he's collecting money from his people and giving it to the Romans, and he's just he's a mess. Nobody likes this guy. Uh, and he hears that Jesus is coming to Jericho, and he says, I want to meet Jesus because I've heard that Jesus likes people that nobody else likes, so I need to meet him. And so Zacchaeus comes out where the crowds are, and Jesus is trying to you know, move through the crowd and teach people, but the scripture says that Zacchaeus was kind of a short guy, so he's like trying to look up over the crowd, and he can't, he can't see Jesus, so he runs ahead of the crowd, and he climbs up a tree. How many of you remember this from Bible school, or Bible school, uh, uh, Sunday school? Um, he goes and climbs up a tree, and he's like looking through this tree, and he's looking down, and Jesus is moving through the crowd, and Jesus comes walking towards the tree, and Zacchaeus is like in the tree going, oh man, he's like coming right over to me. And Jesus walks up to the tree, and he looks up in the tree, and there are a lot of things that Jesus could have said in that moment. He could have said, you are a jerk. He could have said, you are a liar and a thief. You are a betrayer. You're a turncoat. I don't like you. He could have said uh, any number of things, and the crowd would have cheered. They would have gone, yes, 
Thank you, Jesus, because he is a cheat, and he's cheated me, and he's taken money from my mom, and he's a you know, bad guy. And he could have said anything that he wanted to this guy. You know what he said to him? He said, Zacchaeus called his name. He said, Zacchaeus, I know you. Come down out of the tree. Let's go to your house. Let's have some dinner. Jesus says, I know you. And when you are a person that you're, maybe you've done things in the past, there's regrets, there's remorse, there's hurt, there's pain, there's wounds. He knows that. And he's calling you by name. He says, I love you. Let's go. I'm going to come to your house and let's just spend some time together. You're uniquely designed and you're particularly, specifically known. Look at this scripture that God says to um, Isaiah. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? She said, he said, even these may forget and yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Think about that image. God's saying, I'm never going to forget you. I've got you engraved in the palms of my hands. A mother's not going to forget her baby. I'm not going to forget you. If you're a parent, you know this. You've, you've experienced this. When we came back from vacation, the boys are running through Lambert Airport. They'd been on the plane for three hours. Their little legs were all stoved up, and they needed to get out and sprint. So there's a Lambert Airport. It's a nice, there's a nice runway there. You know, it's just straight. And so they get out, and they're just running down the hallway. And I'm on them. I'm, like, watching them. I see him. I see him moving in. I don't mind anybody else. There might be other kids. Who knows? They might be flipping off the chairs, and I don't really don't care. I'm looking at my kids, right, watching them. And when they get too far, I call them out. Hey, guys, stop. And then they stop, and they kind of come back this way, right? A parent knows his children. A parent is going to look out. A good parent is going to look out for their child. God, the Father, is saying, I know you. I love you. I know the very hairs on your head. I've got you engraved in the palm of my hand. So let me, just, let me just give you an application for this point. The application is talk to him. And talk to him in the way that you would talk to somebody who knows you. I've taken up the practice over the last couple months of when I pray. And I, I, don't, know, I don't know that I've heard other people do this, but when I pray, you know, when I pray in public, I'll say, you know, Heavenly Father, we this and that and When I pray in private, I go, Dad, I need your help. Talking to God. Dad, I need your help. I, I, you know, I'm struggling with this or I'm upset about that or I don't know how to do this or, you know, forgive me for that or whatever. Dad, because he knows me, right? He knows me. He loves me. You're designed, uniquely designed. You're particularly known. And number three is you are entrusted and authorized. This is part of your internal operating system. You've got to know this about yourself. You've got to get this. Uh, God entrusted humankind with his creation and authorized humankind to manage it and, and oversee it. Look at Genesis chapter 1. It says this. It said, so God created man in his own image, and God said to them, fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In other words, God is saying, I'm entrusting you. I'm giving you the keys to my house. And then I'm authorizing you to manage my house. 
I'm authorizing you to manage that which I have given you and entrusted to you. That's why he says, I give you dominion over the, you know, the sea and the birds. And I want you to manage this for me. I, I remember the very first day I started a job at, at, a, at a law firm. One of the first things that happened is they gave me a key card. That key card got me into the firm and it got me into almost every office. There are probably some offices I couldn't get into, but that key card gave me access, right? I had a computer. They gave me a computer and that computer had a password and I get, get on that computer, put in my password. And now I'm looking at every document that that firm has. I'm, I'm being entrusted with everything that, that's there at that firm. I got letterhead, letterhead that had the firm's name on it, firm's logo on it, and my name on it. In other words, we're authorizing you to speak on our behalf, right? You got, you got cards, business cards that had the firm logo, had my name on it, right? So now I'm being entrusted and I'm being authorized to speak on behalf of the firm, right? Here was the catch. There was an employee handbook. And the employee handbook laid out the principles and the precepts and the rules that governed the way the firm wanted me to present myself and wanted me to, be, to, to carry myself if I'm going to be a representative of that firm, all right? And so as long as I adhered to the principles and precepts of that firm, then I was entrusted and authorized to act on behalf of that firm. But if I ever said, hey... I know the handbook says this, but I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to go, I'm going to do something completely different, right? Guess how quickly I would lose authorization to speak on behalf of that firm. Gently, but firmly and quickly. That key card would be gone. Computer, gone. Password, swipe, you know, wiped. Letterhead, zip, gone. Where to go, right? Card, gone. Business card. Because... As long as I am acting on behalf of and under the authority of the firm, then, I have, then I'm entrusted and authorized. God is saying the same thing with us. I've entrusted you and I've authorized you to rule and reign and to have dominion and to, to, to manage my creation. But there are some principles and precepts that I want you to follow because this is how I want the house run. This is how things need to go, right? If you are struggling with your life and you don't feel a sense of purpose and you aren't experiencing a sense of destiny and you aren't experiencing control in your life, I want to challenge you, lovingly challenge you and say, are you following the principles and precepts of the one who designed you and authorized you and entrusted you? Because it's when we are not doing that, that we are suddenly, we're we're suddenly not, we don't have the power to do the things that we're called to do. Because we're not doing it according to his plan and his purpose. Man, it's so quiet. It's so quiet out there. You, feel, you understand what I'm saying? Are you tracking? Because it all boils down to this. And this is what you got to get. None of this is ours anyway. This world is not ours. Your kids are not yours. Your husband is not yours. Your wife is not yours. Your friends are are not, they don't belong to you. Nothing that you, the money in your bank, the house that you are in, none of that actually belongs to you. That belongs to God. Even your own life does not belong to you. It's God's, and he's given it to you to manage. It belongs to him, and you are the manager of what he has given you 
to manage. And ultimately, your purpose, and this is the big secret in life, is that it's not about you. It's not about you. Your purpose, your destiny, your drive, your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations, it's not about you. It's not about me. Turn to the person next to you just to wake you up a little bit and say, it's not about you. (laughs) All right, now turn to the other person and say, it's not about you either. Here's, here's the great big secret about purpose and about what you were made for. You were made to bring glory to God. Your life is about bringing glory and honor and reflecting God's goodness to every single person that you meet. It's about bringing glory to him. L- listen to this passage from Isaiah. It says this. God says this to Isaiah. He says, bring my sons from afar And my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created, why? Why did I create you? For my glory, God said. I created you. You exist for the purpose of bringing glory and honor to God, reflecting well upon him. That's why you live. That's your purpose. That's why you exist, to bring glory to him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. I took my boys up to Camelback Mountain while we were on vacation. And I'm going to stop talking about them, but I just spent a week with them, so I got stories. Um, I took them up in Camelback Mountain in Phoenix, Arizona. It's a very high mountain. It's hard to get up, hard to get down. Uh, and I've got a five-year-old and seven-year-old, and I left the 18-month-old at home, but we, the, the other two guys, and I, and I said, boys, we're going to get to the top of this mountain, and they said, yeah, let's do it, so we start climbing this mountain, right, and as we're climbing, I'm noticing that every other climber and every other person out on this mountain, it's kind of a trail, but it's kind of a hike, and there's some verticals, and it's crazy, uh, were looking at me, looking at my boys, and then looking at me, and they were impressed, they were like, wow, you know, these, these are the youngest guys out here, look at them, they're going up, they're just, they're going for it, and the, my boys, you know, they just, they're a little bit competitive with each other. So they were both just scrambling and trying to get up this mountain. They didn't know it, but I was getting the glory for what they were doing. Every guy was going, those are your boys? And I'm like, yeah, those are my boys. What can you say? You know, I was getting glory. Now, they weren't trying to shed glory on me. They weren't trying. They were just trying to get up the mountain. In fact, there was this great moment. There was this college guy in front of us. He was like, you know, 22, 23, and he's climbing, you know, and it's hot, and it's, it's, it's hard, you know, and, and, and he's climbing, and he got sick. I mean, he just, like, it was too much. The altitude, I don't know what. He just leaned over and just got sick. All right, I'm just going to leave it at that. Partying the night before, we don't know, right? And uh, Jameson, my seven-year-old, doesn't even flinch. He turns to me, he goes, watch your step, Dad. I was like, all right. See you, 22-year-old. We're going up the mountain. It was awesome. <laughs> Here's how Jesus said it. Watch this. Let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The reason, the why, for you to grow personally for you to serve selflessly, for you to give generously, for you to live a life of deep meaning and purpose. The reason for that 
is so that people will watch you and they'll say, I like who you serve. I want to meet who you serve. You're reflecting upon him who made you. That's your purpose. That, so it makes living a life of purpose really, really simple. All you have to say is, is this bringing glory to God? Right now, what I'm doing with my finances, is this bringing glory to God? Is it reflecting well on, on dad? What I'm doing with my relationship, is this reflecting well on dad? Is what I'm doing with my, my body, my sexual life, is this reflecting well on dad? My job, how I'm interacting with people at work, is this, is this bringing glory to him? Because your purpose is to bring glory to him. So you know at every step of the way, every decision you make, it's not that hard to determine, is this bringing glory to him or is it not? Because if it's not, turn the other way. Shift. Move the other way. And follow him. Because if you really want a life of purpose, you really want to achieve your goals this year, make your goals about his glory. Make your goals about his glory, not about you, not about me, not about anything else. Make your goals about his glory. And I'm going to close with this. Um, I want to I give some honor to some people who really have brought honor and glory to God over the last couple of months. Um, and I, I just want to take a moment at the end of this sermon here and invite those of you who have been serving for the last two months up in the family center, selflessly spending time, spending your energy, uh, working up there so that we can have kids up there that can learn about Jesus and we can, you know, create an environment where people can come and learn about God. I just, would you guys just come and stand to the front and I'm going to list off some names. And if I miss your name, then come up anyway. Okay. Uh, don't make me look bad. Okay. Um, Dawn, would you come up? Dawn Moses, Burl Kleins, Chris Moritz, Caleb Drury, Art Bollinger, Claude Bennett, Obi Peoples, Arno Adam, Ryan Dodson, Zinnia Roberts, John Collins, Jonathan Yarbrough, Mike Klein, Craig Wagner, Russell Binion, Jojo Ball, uh, Rebecca Rome, Carol Cloud. Did I get everybody? Come up here, come up here, come up here, come up here, come up here. Come on, guys. Come on. Just come and stand across the top. Here you go. Come on. Yeah, yeah, come on, Edna. That's right. Come on. Give him a standing O, guys. Woo! All right, you guys, you may be seated, but you guys stay up here for a minute. You guys stay up here. I just want to say, I just want to say this. For eight, for eight weeks since we signed this lease on the upstairs there, this group of people have selflessly given their time and their energy and their expertise. And I, I wish I, I wish I, honestly, I wish I had time to just go down the list and say, okay, look, this is what this person did. Uh, these guys gave their time, their energy, and their expertise to making this place work. Uh, and it is amazing. And, you know, I, most of the time, fortunately, God gave me just this much wisdom. He gave me this much wisdom to turn to people who are smarter than me and know better than me and say, hey, what do you think we should do on this art? What do you think we should do? On? 
How do you think my sermon's going, Art? Am I doing okay? Um, but we'll talk afterwards. Um, but th these guys have just given incredible amounts of time and energy, you guys. And in so doing, it's behind the scenes. Some of you guys don't know it. Oh, yeah, here it is. Here's the, here's the family center. This was on Christmas Eve, by the way. It was packed. It was awesome. Um, and, and they just gave all their time and energy to this. Uh, and it just really has been transformed into something great. Um, and it's also been a witness to everybody else in that building. Um, it's just really, really been incredible. And I just want to say this last thing, and, and, and you guys can sit down. Um, at the beginning of this, I said, we need to raise $40,000 to cover some of the additional expense, and we need to do that by um, May of 2016. You know, we'll give ourselves six months. All right, two months into it, we're two months into it, we've raised $36,279.35. Two months into it. Your generosity, your work, your service, your desire to honor God with your gifts, you guys, it is transformative, and it is making a difference like you could never, ever know. Thank you, guys. You can sit down. Thank you so much. I just, I wanna, I just wanna say this as we close. Uh, I just want us to become a people. Barry, would you come up and play for me? Uh, I just want us to become a people who understand that our lives are not about us, that there's a bigger purpose to our life. We don't get, that's why we don't get lost in like, you know, petty arguments and we don't get lost in like, you know, just trying to make it for ourselves. We become a people that's looking out. We, look, we become a people that looks out to our community, to our city, to our world, to our country, and we say, we want to bring glory to God by serving you, by loving you, and by being there for you, by helping you take the next step on your spiritual journey. Why did God send his son to the earth? Scripture tells us. It gives us the why before even the what. For God so loved the world. He loves us. His why is love. Let our why be love. Because we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We love our neighbors as ourselves. That's our why. Now with that as a why, we can figure out the how, and we can definitely figure out the what. That's just going to happen. But we got to get that why deep, subtle, deeply settled in our heart. You were made for a purpose. You were uniquely designed. You are known. You are entrusted and authorized. Let's be a people that lives out our purpose in 2016, and let's change our world. Amen. Let me pray for you. Amen.